Father God, we pray that as a church, as your followers, that you would give us clean hands, not as defined by our own moral code, not as defined by our culture, but clean hands that are defined by your word. That we would, as followers of Jesus Christ, seek to be holy as you are holy. That we would be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. That we would be renewed. That you would give us new life. That we wouldn't turn our hearts to anything other than you. So Lord, help us to take this idea of holiness seriously. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as we continue our series in this book. When I was a kid and had to go to the doctor, didn't matter if it was a doctor or dentist, whatever medical field it was, there was only one redeeming thing about that trip for me, and that was the Highlights magazine in the doctor's office. And uh, we would, I would quickly turn to two pages, the one where you had to seek the images in the image and the what's wrong with this picture page. Now, uh, you know, it's really kind of a, a silly picture. You have a little kid, you, I don't know how well you can see it, who's planting flowers in the snow. Uh, you have a kid with his uh, ice skates on and uh, his tennis racket. Um, and uh, you have somebody raking the snow, which I don't know, that's possible. Who knows? Depends. Uh, and so, you know, there's just so many things wrong with the picture. I think, you know, part of the reason why Highlights did this was to teach kids to look for things, right, that are out of place. We're training our minds to be observant. Now, um, I believe that as Christians, sometimes we look like this page. Um, We are to live in contrast to, uh, in a biblical way, the culture in which we live in. But when we as the church begin to look exactly like the the culture, there's somewhat of a problem here, what's wrong with this picture. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we move into the practical application of what Paul has been talking about, and specifically, there is a large overriding topic of holiness in this chapter, and then specifically, he's going to talk about how that applies to our uh, our purpose, how that relates, you know, in contrast to a non-believer's purpose, how that relates to our purity as in contrast to a non-believer's purity, how that relates to our authority versus the non-Christian's authority, and how it re- relates to our relationship. And so uh, I was telling this, the staff this week, this is a very hard passage because there's the overarching idea of, purity, uh, of, of holiness and specific about purity. There's so much to say about this passage And Pastor Rich came in and he said, well, you always tell me, pick one thing and stick with it. And I said, that's right. Do as I say, not as I do. Um, There's so much in this passage. But what we're looking at is living in an upside down world means living oftentimes countercultural with an emphasis on holiness. 
So this morning, we're going to talk about holiness, what it is, uh, holiness, what it looks like, and then holiness, how we get there. So look at 1 Thessalonians. The passage starts in verse 1. Let me just kind of jump up to chapter 3, verse 11, and read uh, through what we're going to talk about today. So remember from last week that that benediction there in chapter 3 is kind of the tie between what Paul said in in chapters 1 and 2 and what he's going to say in chapter 4 and 5. And so it says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord, listen, make you increase and abound in love for one another, the relationship, and for all as we do for you, so that you may be established in your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints." Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. (coughs) That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all things. And as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So holiness, what it is. Um, Interesting in here, if you just kind of look at the passage uh, uh, overview, just kind of look at it. Chapter 3, verse 13, holiness Um, And then you have uh, the word sanctification in chapter 4, verse 3. The word holiness again in verse 4. And the word holiness again in verse 7. They all have the same root word. So definition of holy, the adjective. Separated and set apart for God. Consecrate and made over to him. So looking at that definition, two words there, separated and set apart. It kind of seems like it's saying the same thing. So let me contrast those two words this way. Separated, what, what, what the definition is saying is that you are different from the whole. Separated. That's where I'm getting this idea of countercultural. And set apart. Um, think here of the fine china. What's the purpose of fine china? No, seriously, what is the purpose of it? I have no, I just, thank you, David. Um, I, I think I missed the, you know, when we were getting married, there was a bunch of stuff handed to us, and I think I missed the note for understanding what the purpose of fine china was. But as I understand it, as we're going through life, sometimes people will come over and I will reach for the everyday plates. And my wife will say, no, the china. There's something special. It's set apart for special occasions. You are the fine china. And it doesn't mean you sit on the shelf and never get used. It means, 
It means you're set apart for a special occasion in serving God. So holy, separated and set apart for God, consecrated and made over to him. Holiness is just a noun form. It's the state of being holy. Definition we just looked at. Now, sanctify is the verb form, but it comes from the same root, and it means to make holy. Okay, And sanctification, then, is the process of becoming holy. Look at verse 1. The end of the verse, he says, just as you are doing, that you do more and more. So in the idea of holiness, it is a process. It's ongoing. It's continual. So sanctification, again, notes the idea that we are set apart, that we are unique, that we are special, and that we are separate and that we don't, we don't, it's not seeking our own pleasure, but we're living by his rules, uh, not our own. Now, sometimes when we're defining something, it helps to talk about what it is not. When we talk about holiness, it's not just conforming to a unique Christian culture. Now, I say that as somebody who went to a Christian school from fourth grade all the way through high school. And we had some rules. Uh, first of all, Guys could only wear slacks. They couldn't wear jeans, even though jeans last longer. They fade, so we weren't allowed to wear those. We could only wear slacks, and we had to wear collared shirts. Unless you were on the football team, they could wear their jerseys on game day. I don't understand why, but they did. (laughs) Girls had to wear dresses. There was a certain length, and I don't remember the measuring process, but I remember when my friends were getting in trouble, they had to kneel down in a certain way so the teacher could measure whether their skirt hit at a certain point. Unless you were a cheerleader, apparently those dresses didn't matter. There was the six-inch rule, which I think was an actual rule. I think most of you understand what it is. Guys had to be six inches from girls, unless we were sitting in the bleachers during uh, chapel, in which case there wasn't enough room and we had to squeeze in. There was hair length. Guys could not have long hair. They could only have short hair, which is fine. I remember teachers telling me that I had to get my hair cut um, it always was ironic to me when a female, a woman teacher was telling me to get my hair cut and she had short hair because technically the verse says that men have to have short hair and women have to have long hair. So I don't know. It seemed, it, you know, didn't seem like quite the application to me, but we had to have short hair. Oh man, what other rules can I think of? I, I got in trouble for a few of them. I don't need to go into those. <laughs> but when we grow up in church, there's just all these certain rules of things and this is well, this is what a Christian does. And can we just stop for a minute? Are these from the Bible or are these rules that we've lived with and we want the next generation to also live with? They're not just conforming to a unique Christian culture. The, the, uh, the music industry made so much money on Christians because we would, as kids, we'd go to these, these things and we'd, be t- and we'd go home, no more Christian music, and then we'd burn all of our I never did because I didn't have any, but they would, all my friends, they, we, we burned all of our, Christ, our non-Christian music. And then like a month later, they're listening to it. I'm like, what? I thought you burned it all. Yeah, I know. I really missed this one. So I bought it again. <laughs> like, well, that's the worst thing you could have done. Right? So we just had all these rules. It's not merely just a list of do's and don'ts. So what is, this, what is really sanctification from a biblical point of view? Our goal is to please God. So he says in verse 1, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and 
to please God. The goal is not for us to please everyone. It's only to please God. Now, I want to tell you as a recovering people pleaser, that's really hard. And I know because there's times in church as a pastor, somebody would say something to me, oh, pastor, you shouldn't have da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Oh. And then five minutes later, somebody in the same church was, pastor, I want to thank you for, and the same thing. Like, who am I pleasing here? I'm struggling. I can't please everybody. And I start melting down. And we need to be reminded that the goal is to please God. Now, we are uh, not from this tradition, but the uh, Westminster Catechism has the first question. The first question is, what is the chief end of man? The answer in the Westminster Catechism is to, to uh, glorify God okay, and enjoy him forever. And I think we miss that second part. It's not just that we want to please God, but we want to enjoy our relationship with him. So sometimes we use the phrase, uh, I hear, and I hear some of you use this, so please give me a little bit of grace here this morning. But I hear guys joke, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Well, that is to say that the chief end of marriage is to make mama happy or probably, if we're more honest, to avoid conflict. That's not the chief end of marriage. The chief end of marriage is to enjoy the relationship that God has given us together, to make mutual uh, submitting to one another, to do ministry together, to grow in our expression, our practice for love for one another. In the same way, our goal is not just to please God, to keep him happy. We want to enjoy a relationship with him. So our goal is to please God, enjoy a relationship with him. The method, Paul says here in verse 3, for it is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. The method is to abstain from any sin. Now, he is going to specifically call out sexual immorality here, but please understand, in the idea of holiness, we're talking about a wider range here. One commentator wrote this, as God is separate from sin, we also separate ourselves from sin and sinfulness, having different values and desires from the non-believers around us. The amazing part here is we talk about holiness. If you just keep your finger here, turn to the very end of the book in chapter 5, verse 22. I'll note this a couple of times. But he says at the end, Paul's just bullet pointing here, abstain from every form of evil. That's good advice. And then in the very next verse, he says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So in one sense, he says, you do it. And in the very next breath, he says, may God do it to you. That is part of the method. Now, our attitude in the sanctification process should be negative towards sin. Abstain from sexual immorality. That should be our attitude. But beyond that, it should also be positive towards godliness. In the very next verse, he says that each one of you know how to control his own body. And we're going to talk more about that in a second. So the attitude is negative towards sin and positive toward godliness. Sometimes that's easy. We just go, oh, that sin is gross. I don't want anything to do with that. I, I'm a Christian. I don't do that. But there's other things, folks, if you're honest, 
where you're walking right down that path going, well, it's not that big a deal. And so sometimes we look at other people and we go, oh, they're so weak in that area. I'm glad I'm not like them. I hope you hear the reference there to the... uh, There's something inside of us that is broken. And God is restoring it. And so we're all in process of dealing with some sort of sin. If you know what that is, you're in the right direction. If you don't know what it is and you think you've arrived, you're in a bad place. Our attitude is negative towards sin, positive towards godliness. The process, a progressive work by which our lifestyle becomes more and more pleasing to God. So in verse 1, just as you are doing that, do it some more. He also says in verse 10, for next week, for that indeed is what you are doing to the brothers throughout Macedonia, but we urge you brothers to do more and more. That's the process. So the actions here, it's not just an interchange of heart, but it's an outward change of actions. He's not just saying don't, you know, he he says there abstain from sexual immorality, but then specifically he has an action of what you are to do. You need to learn to control your own body. So there's an action there. It should be able to be seen. Now, the reality is there's obstacles to the sanctification process. I borrowed three from Jerry Bridges' book, Pursuit of Holiness. Uh, I feel that Pursuit of Holiness is a must-read. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. Um, I have some pictures of it at the end. It's one of the application points. So here's my summer challenge to you. You need a summer read, and it doesn't need to be a romance novel. Uh, Read Pursuit of Holiness. You can read about two chapters a week, get together with a friend, and talk about them. They even have some discussion questions. Most of them do at the end of the chapter. But Jerry uh, Bridges points out three obstacles to our sanctification. Uh, Not on your notes there. I ran out of room. Our attitude towards sin is more self-centered than God-centered. If we really want to do something, our attitude towards that sin is more self-centered than it is God-centered. And we take us right back to the garden. You can eat of every tree, just not this one. You know what tree looks really good to me? And the reality is what Adam and Eve are saying is we want to define good and evil on our own. It's the sin of every culture, of every person. I want to say what's good for me. There's this uh, ridiculous show. I really, I don't know that I've watched one or two of them, but sometimes I got sucked in, and it's, I don't think it's even on anymore. It was uh, called Wife Swap, and they would, they would take this wife, and they would, they, it wasn't a sexual thing. It was just like this mom in a different household, and so they would take somebody who's like a total health food nut and put them in some family that is just, you know, eating whatever. This was this particular episode, and there's a meme that goes around it, but this mom was just going through the refrigerator, taking out all the unhealthy stuff, and she grabs the bacon, And there's this little eight-year-old boy. And he's like, what are you doing? And she said, this isn't good for you. And the boy responds back, bacon is good for me. And anytime we're struggling with sin in our house, that's our phrase. (laughs) Bacon is good for me. Right? That's That's how we define it. Now, Our attitude towards sin is more self-centered than God-centered. Second obstacle, we have misunderstood living by faith. 
to mean that there's no effort required. What I'm trying to show you from 1 Thessalonians is Paul says, be holy. And then in the next breath, he will say, God, make them holy. But the biggest reality is, more and more, we don't take sin seriously. Now, I'm preaching to a choir here. I don't think that many of you are going to disagree with Paul's view of sexual purity. But understand this has to do with every topic of God's word. So I want to take one that we struggle with maybe a little bit more. It's drinking. Uh, Times have changed in the church. I grew up that if you even looked at alcohol, you were going to hell. Good Baptist church, right? Some of you, right? Nowadays, there's a lot more freedom. I have three friends. One grew up uh, in the church with very strict alcohol rules in his family. He went to college, never touched alcohol. And uh, he then re-examined it, decided in his heart it wasn't a sin to drink, but he had made it all this time. He's like, how many people make it through college having never drank? So he just decided, I'm not going to drink. He is a few years younger than me. He's never touched alcohol ever in his life by his choice. The funny thing is, he is a reporter for the music industry. Half the concerts he goes to are in a bar. Many of them have a two-drink minimum. He tells me, he said, I have paid more for Coca-Cola than any person, you know, ever. Like, I have paid some ridiculous amounts for a Coke. Okay? I have another friend. Grew up in the same culture, can't drink. Came to a conclusion, wasn't sin. What was a sin was getting drunk. So that person made a commitment that they were never going to drink more than one or two have been drunk in their life. That was a choice. Third friend, same culture. Drinking is wrong. Reevaluated. It's not wrong. We can drink. Two families together drinking. Drinking a little bit more. They were in a hot tub. I don't know why. I know why. Couple gets up, and there's the husband of one couple and the wife of another couple who, in the hot tub, shared a kiss that led to an affair, that led to destruction of two marriages. Same background, somewhat same conclusions. The results, very different. Holiness is naming the sin and making sure that you stay away from the destruction of that sin. Being drunk is a sin. Holiness, what it looks like. Separation, oftentimes, from the culture. Specifically in this area that Paul mentions of our purpose. The goal is to please God. That's a wonderful goal. That should be our goal. The goal isn't to please yourself. The goal isn't to fit in. The goal isn't to be comfortable. The goal isn't to have fun. The goal is to please God. It's our continual walk. It's an ongoing process. He says, uh, here's how you ought to walk. Okay, walking. It's continual. 
It has a direction. It has a purpose. It's continued growth. We don't just arrive there. It's gospel-centered. It's Christ-centered. And then look at verse 7 in the text. He says, for God has not called us for impurity but holiness. Your calling as a Christian is to be holy. That's your calling. Now, Paul specifically calls out purity in this text. Uh, Why does Paul single out purity over all the different things? It seems, and it's hard to understand, uh, but it seems that that was a problem in the culture in Thessalonica. Uh, One person wrote, uh, years before Paul wrote, about the culture in which we're talking about. Uh, Basically, he said, we have mistresses for our pleasure, we have concubines for our daily pleasure, and we have wives to give us legitimate children. That was the thought of culture. So apparently, the culture in which Paul was writing, men used their position of authority to take advantage of women. Now, I know you can't relate to that at all in our culture. That was sarcasm. So Paul is addressing a cultural issue. To make matters worse, there was temples in Thessalonica in which people would go to worship. And part of the worship included being with a prostitute. Their church growth plan was off the charts for the culture. Okay, so... All these things are going on. And Paul's saying, look at your culture and look at God's word and we are to be different. So ongoing sanctification includes abstaining from sin. Whatever that sin is, we abstain from it because we are saying, look, I am not going to follow the culture's definition. I'm going to follow God's definition. And what that requires is self-control. Look at verse 4. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like Gentiles. Self-control. Now, there's various readings of this verse, and I've I've read way too many commentaries trying to, to figure this out this week. Some say, and like the ESV reading, that the emphasis is on controlling your own vessel or body. Other readings, variants of this, say the idea is that each person should have their own you know, spouse in, in controlling. Here's the, I read them all. The conclusion is the same, right? Self-control. And so the reality is we don't just we don't just follow our lust. That's, we don't just give in to the moment. There should be self-control. Now, for anybody, self-control, if it's going to work, has to have some boundaries that work for you. My friends who, who set a limit for himself, one of his conclusions was his dad had, was an alcoholic. And he said, I know that I have those genes roaming around my body, that those tendencies, so I don't want to ever, so I, he set a limit, okay? So I'm just saying, there's, there's self-control 
in, 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 and part of that is setting boundaries. And then there's separation from the culture. He says, don't just act like them, whoever them are. Now, I grew up in a time where there was a key word in the church, and it was relevance. We want to be relevant to our culture. And I, I believe in relevance. I, would just, I try to be irrelevant in my preaching. Some of you may disagree, but I, I try to seek for that. But, but the idea of relevance has gone over into being like the culture so that we look cool. And that's never the point of that so that we fit in. Now, I think the fourth on your notes there is a right identity. A right identity. If you, if you look at verse uh, five, he says, again, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles, what? Who do not know God. What, what he's saying there is, you have a different identity. You are in Christ. You know God. You, you know what it is that you are supposed to do. Now, there's two other issues that come up here in separation from our culture that Paul points out. One of them we're going to talk about next week, so I'm just going to touch on it. Verse 6, he says, That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, specifically to purity, right? So he's saying, look, if you engage in impurity, you've not just sinned against God, but you've sinned against this person, and so don't do that. Because the Lord, listen to this, is the avenger of all things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. So what Paul is saying, look, there is a way that we treat one another that should be different from the world. And we're going to go into that much more specifically next week. That's the point of the sermon. Verse 8. He has this calling in verse 7. In verse 8 he says, Therefore, Whoever disregards this disregards not man but God. It's an authority issue. When it all comes down to it, it comes right back to that question in the garden. Who is the authority? Is it God or is it me? Now sometimes, you know, if... I'm one of those people, I, I, I hope I'm overcoming this, but if you, if you want me to do something, the best way is probably to tell me I can't do it. Challenge accepted. So growing up and just all the, you know, the schools like this rule, this rule, this rule, and I'm like, what? you're kind of almost pushing me the other direction. And so there's, there's a point in here where, where we have to settle who our authority is. One of the hardest things I've had to deal with as a pastor is realizing you're not all my authority. Sometimes I think, oh man, I got to, my authority is Jesus Christ. And I hope I'm preaching in a way that pleases him. I'm leading in a way that pleases him. I know I'm not leading in a way that pleases everybody in this room. So, who's our authority? So we looked at the definition of holiness, and then we've looked at it in this context, and then how do we get there? All right, so we've talked about holiness. We need to be holy. How do we, how do we get there? 
First of all, we need to turn to God. Let's keep it in sense the context here is that in chapter one, verse nine, Paul uh, praises this group of people for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turn to God from idols. Look, we don't just do it to try to earn God's favor. We, we give ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. We repent of our sin. We turn to him. It starts there. Baptism is a point of that new identity. We're being identified with him. We're going to take on his kingdom. So look, don't just try to do a bunch of stuff to, to fit in. The idea is that first and foremost, we need to turn to God. Second, we need to follow the leader. What, what has been consistent through chapters one, two, and three is this idea of mentorship, discipleship. Who are you following that is helping you become more like Jesus Christ? We, I strongly believe that the best way to grow in holiness is through discipleship. Somebody in your life who is speaking God's word into you and keeping you accountable. Now, when I say that, I am saying a specific relationship with people. Not that everybody in the church disciples everybody. That just becomes chaos. Right? It's just the kind of that church where some of you grew up in where it didn't matter which mom was near you, she could smack you. Okay? It just kind of... I'm telling you, there was times, it didn't matter for me, it didn't matter which grandma was close to you, any one of them could tweak your ear if they wanted to, okay? No, the idea is, is discipleship. Third, we need to depend on God's divine power. The sense that God is doing this in us. So we go back to chapter three, verse 13, before our God and Father, uh, excuse me, who, uh, so that he may establish your hearts blameless. He does it. Chapter 5, verse 23, that may the God of peace himself sanctify you. So we, we are dependent on his divine power. It doesn't mean we don't do anything. It means that we're dependent on him doing it in us. And then fourth, depend on God's divine resources. He says here, listen to verses 7, 8 again. For God has not called you us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man but God. Who, what? Gives us the Holy Spirit. There's the power in the change right there. Don't worry about it. You're not doing this alone. But I think probably the biggest thing in, in light of this idea of holiness is I want to remind us this morning, church, that we need to pursue it that it should be something that we are actually pursuing. So my big idea this morning is that we're living in an upside-down world, and it means living countercultural, with an emphasis on what does holiness look like in contrast to the culture in which I live. Now let me just say this. There are some things where the culture might have it right. Right? I mean, maybe they're okay with that one. So we examine it through the lens of God's word and the spirit in our heart and, and Jesus, the example of Jesus. So moving towards application, uh, and these aren't on your notes, but I have a link to them on the back of your bulletin. In 1879, 1879 work okay, by Bishop John Charles Riley set out 12 points uh, profile of a holy person. This was a sermon. He had 12 points in his sermon. Um, I'm just going to read you the main point. 
Uh, Just think about these this morning. Holiness is the habit of being of one mind with God. It's a beautiful picture. He goes on to say, agreeing with God's judgment, hating what he hates, loving what he loves, measuring everything according to his word. It's a good word. Second, a holy person will endeavor to shun every known sin and keep every commandment. Oh, Third, a holy person will strive to be like Christ. Amen? Fourth, a holy person will follow after meekness, long-suffering, gentleness, patience, kind tempers. I like that word. Government of his tongue. He will bear much fruit, forbear, uh, forbear much, overlook much, and be slow to talk of standing on his rights. Next, a holy person will follow after temperance and self-denial, labor to mortify uh, these desires of his body. A holy person will follow after a charity and brotherly kindness. He will endeavor to observe the golden rule. Next, a holy person will follow after a spirit of mercy and benevolence towards others. A holy person will follow after purity of heart. A holy person will follow after the fear of God, not the fear of a slave, but of a son that wants to please his father. A holy person will follow after humility. A holy person will follow after faithfulness in all the duties and relationships in his life. And I had to put this quote in here. He, He said this, Holy persons should aim at doing everything well and should be ashamed of allowing themselves to do anything ill if they can help it. They should strive to be good husbands and good wives, good parents and good children, good masters and good servants, good neighbors, good friends, good in the place of business and good by their friends. Finally, a holy person will follow after spiritual mindedness. They endeavor to set their affections entirely on things above. How are you doing in holiness? That list makes it a little bit harder, doesn't it? Some application and action. I couldn't hold to just three this week. We need to re-examine our relationship to our culture. Let me say that again. We need to re-examine the relationship we have with the culture in which we live in. What's right and wrong? What's healthy? What's good? What pleases God? And like the highlighter, what's wrong with this picture, we need to ask ourselves, is there anything wrong with my view of how culture indulges in things? Second, we need to take some uh, hard turns from some of our cultural preferences. Um, some of them are, are minor. You know, I, I know for myself, um, I feel like I work hard, I study hard, I, I relate with people, and, um, you know, I use a lot of words during the day, which is hard for me. And then when I go home, I'm tired. 
And what is really easy is just to sit and turn on that mindless thing that isn't really that mindless. It has a purpose. It has an agenda. And it's not for me to love God more. And so sometimes, I I mean, I need less of that and more of something else. What are some other things? Cultural preferences. What is it that leads me down a way that is not filling me with the Holy Spirit? What is something else that our culture praises that is not something that God praises? What is something that's turning my heart away from my spouse or turning my heart away from God or making me angry at the church? What what is that thing that maybe is drawing me not closer to God but closer to the culture in which I live? Third, we need to be more relational and personable in our discipleship of others. Um, If I had a dollar, if I had a dollar for every time somebody said, Somebody in the church told me this. Is this true? Or they told me I can't do this. Or they told me I should be doing this. And, and I'm saying, who told you what? What? Why? Where did that come from? I, it's just amazing how free people feel to go, you're doing it wrong. Be like me. What if you're wrong? Discipleship should be more relational and personable and discussing. And so one way of kind of wrestling with this idea of holiness is I think we need to dig dig deeper into what it is. And so I recommended earlier The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. The book looks like this, the modern one. If some of you are going, I think I read this, your book looks like this, Um, because that's the original one. So either one, there's probably another one in there somewhere, but uh, um, it's just a great book. It, I, I can't remember how many chapters. I just think it's like 17 chapters. Read two a week. They're short. They have little discussion questions. It's just really good things. If you want a deeper study, if you really want to be challenged and you've never read J.I. Packer's Pursuit of Holiness. No, it's not Pursuit of Holiness. Uh, no, it's not Knowing God. He's got one on holiness too. But uh, Rediscovering Holiness, I believe is what it's called. Rediscovering Holiness by J.I. Packer. Um, that's a little bit more of a challenge, but, uh, but much more deeper study um, and also a much longer book. But my point is this. I know that some of you just think I'm a book pusher. I don't get any, I don't get any money from this. I wish I did. Um, I need to find a way for that to happen. Um, I believe that leaders are readers. I believe that leaders are readers. And I, I'm pretty passionate about that. If you want to lead and you want to disciple, then you need to be somebody who's studying. I'm I'm sorry. You have to be wrestling with this. And there's just, we live in a day and age where these things are just very accessible and easy. Some of you are going to download it to your your device. Uh, Drives me crazy, but do that. It's cheaper. Um, Some of you will do it right and get a book that you can touch and feel and mark in. It's, it's the way that God intended it to be. Um, but, but read. Leaders are readers. And I, I think if, if, if there's a process, if we're on a journey, which Paul clearly portrays here, then we need maps. We need people that have been there before us. We need people who have wrestled with this before. And there's some really good people that have done that why would we not read it? If I'm going to a different country, and please, um, if you want to 
give to that. I'll gladly accept donations. But if I'm going, like, I want to read where other people have eaten, wherever the people have, I want to I learn about that from somebody else who's been there. So we've got people that are further along in the journey than us. Let's learn. Let's grow in that. Let's pursue it. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this morning and the challenges. And uh, Lord, I, I pray that we would take these things to heart and wrestle with them. And uh, God, I pray that we would uh, be a church that looks at things through the lens of your word, not through the popular uh, opinion of our culture, um, that we would re-examine some of the rules and things that we were given and what, it, what were the purpose of them, what, were the, what, were the heart, what was the heart behind it, um, what is it that we're trying to do to please you, not to please uh, people in a, in a church culture. God, that we would do things with the right heart, with the right intentions, with the right purpose, that we would strive to glorify you and enjoy our relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.